the blessing of the Kohanim blessing the people is mentioned in the reading of Parshas Naso. It's always around Shavuot, so we never get to address it then. So I figured I would address it today. Um, very important mitzvah. So first let's start with the Kohanim themselves. So as we mentioned, Kohanim is a unique thing, unique um, title that God created for the people who are male descendants of Aaron. It's the only thing where we have our tribal allegiances also, but it is something that you are born into. You cannot leave it if you are born into it, and you cannot join it. Unlike, say, becoming Jewish, anyone can become Jewish, anyone can join it. You can't leave, but you can join. Being a Kohen is something that no one can leave or join. It's simply by birthright. God gave us a unique uh, gift to Aaron and his descendants that he gave them by birthright. It is something we could say today in their spiritual genes. And um, it's natural. They're born with it in, that, in, in a sense. So it's nothing anyone can create. So who is a Kohen today? So a Kohen is any male descendant of Aaron um, is a Kohen with some exceptions. A male descendant of Aaron, the Kohenim are forbidden have a number of unique laws that they must fulfill, um, including they are forbidden from marrying a divorcee or um, a convert, somebody who converts to Judaism. They're forbidden from marrying. And so, and a handful of other, a list of a handful of other women that they are forbidden from marrying. And so, a Kohen that married someone whom they were forbidden from marrying, the children that they have will not be Kohanim. Or for that matter, a Kohen who marries out of the faith to a non-Jew, the children will not be Kohanim. So even someone who is genetically a child of a male child of a Kohen will not necessarily be a Kohen. Not everyone with their last name Kohen is necessarily a Kohen. Now, in temple times, how did they know who was a Kohen? So every Kohen needed to be certified. In order to be a valid Kohen, you had to be certified. You had to go to the Bet Din, the religious court, and you had to bring witnesses that you were your father's child, um, that it is known that you were your father's child, and that you are not a child of a forbidden marriage. And then you would get a certificate that would say you are a certified Kohen that each Kohen can bring their father's certificate and witnesses, and then they can be certified as a Kohen. That's what we did in temple times. And today, the Kohens are no longer certified. We don't have a process of certifying Kohens, so we truly don't know who is a Kohen. Um, many Jews, about it's a little under 5% of Jews, claim to be Kohens today. How many of them are really Kohens? How many are not? We don't truly know. The Talmud already says, the Talmud was written in the 400s, um, about 300 years, over 300 years after the destruction of the temple. Already then they didn't know for certain who were Kohens. Today, we definitely don't know for certain who are Kohens. And we call our Kohens today, in Hebrew, Kohenei Chazaka, presumed Kohens. We only presume there are Kohens. We don't know for certain. Yet, we still treat them as Kohens today. Now, the unique role of the Kohen was to serve in the temple. 
that was their unique role. Um, there were also unique gifts given to the Kohen. Most involved the temple. Today, we have unique honors that are given to the Kohen, which include the... Um, they get the first reading of the Torah. When we take out the Torah, we always give the Kohen the first, the first reading of the Torah. Um, and the other honor that we get, still give Kohenim today is it is a mitzvah for a father who is not a Kohen uh, or to pay when they have a firstborn son. It is a mitzvah for them to pay the Kohen five silver shekels. It's called Pidyon Haben, redeeming the firstborn son. Maybe that's a topic that we've got to do. And um, that is done with a Kohen today. Kohens also have. They also lead the, very good, they lead the, the blessings after the, um, after the meal. So the Kohens also have unique rules. They still today have rules whom they are allowed to marry and whom they are not allowed to marry. Although it's a little more lenient today since we don't know for certain that they are Kohens. Um, and they also, there's a unique rule the Torah says that a Kohen is not allowed to come in contact with someone who has died. So Cohen's today cannot go to cemeteries, cannot go to funerals. Rabbis who are Cohen's cannot do funerals. Um, only of their immediate relatives. They can go of their immediate relatives, but only immediate family. Not immediate family, they're not allowed to go. Um, they're not allowed to go to cemeteries. They usually would bury Cohen's at the edge of the cemetery so that they could visit their loved ones outside the cemetery um, without going into the cemetery. Um, and they... Uh, and Cohen's, even today, most hospitals have morgues. So the Cohen himself has to go to a hospital. They have no choice, but they try to avoid visiting people in hospital, um, if at all possible, um, because they are Cohen's today. And understandably, um, Cohen's cannot become a doctor, be, cannot become doctors because they cannot go to medical school and work with cadavers. Um, so th they wouldn't be able to be doctors today either. Um, is there a reason? Is there a reason? What is the reason? Yeah. It's because of their holiness. They are so holy that they should not come in contact with them. So they're considered uniquely holy. So that rule is still kept today for Kohens. So what does that mean for those Kohens that are doctors, that they're disqualified as Kohen? No, it doesn't disqualify them. A Kohen cannot walk away from being a Kohen. But, but they're, they're not supposed to. They cannot go to, their problem is really going to medical school, not being a doctor. So what, but there's still, okay. There's nothing wrong with a Kohen being a doctor as long as they're not... But let's say they go to medical school and they do all those things. They don't they, disqualify, they don't. No, no. Okay. So now, the one unique mitzvah for a Kohen today is the blessing of the Kohen. The Torah in the portion of Nassau um, tells us that Kohens have a role to bless the people. And God says they should bless the people and I will give my blessing to the people through the Kohen. So Kohen has a unique role to bless the people. I will give my blessing through the Kohen. And so this role, the Torah tells us, gives us exact wording they should use in their blessing. So not just say any blessing, but we're actually given, the Torah says, Ko, um, um, ko tomar, so you shall say, emar lahem, say to them, you must say exactly these words. Uh, sorry, ko tovar, so you shall bless, exactly these words you must bless. And the Torah gives us 
um, it is a list of 15 words that they must say that includes the Kohanic blessing. Now, when do the Kohens say this blessing? So the Kohens are not given a set time to say this blessing, only to bless the people. And it is a very great, powerful blessing to hear this Kohanic blessing. In the temple, in the, temple the Torah tells us that they should, they should bless the people when, during the service in the temple. So every time they would bring sacrifices in the temple, which would be every morning and every afternoon, they would bless the people. And in the temple itself, there were three steps in the middle of the temple courtyard, and the Kohens would stand on these steps, so they'd be a little bit higher than the people, and they would bless the people while standing on these steps in the temple. They do it every morning and every afternoon when the morning sacrifice was brought and when the afternoon sacrifice was brought. When they bless the people in the temple, they would actually pronounce God's name. Now we know, and we we did a class on this some time back, that God has a name that we spell Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey, or we mispronounce as Havaya, that we never ever say. Even in our prayers, we never say it. The only time this name was pronounced was in the temple. So when the Kohanim would say the blessing, they would pronounce God's name as as it really should be pronounced. Today, we don't even know how to correctly pronounce it, although we're almost certain that the common pronunciation you hear from our Christian brothers is almost certainly incorrect. We know where that one came from, and that's almost certainly incorrect. Um, But we don't know how to correctly pronounce it because we haven't been pronouncing it for almost 2,000 years. But in temple times when they would say the priestly blessing, they would say, recite God's name when they said the priestly blessing. What what was the name of the God included in this? It's included. Yes, it's included. It's included three times in, in this 15 words. So they, 15, 15, 1, 5, 15 words. So they, so they would say the blessing back then in the temple and people would come to hear the blessing being said, or to also watch the service, but to hear the blessing being said every day by the Kohanim. Twice a day. Outside of the temple, they would say the blessing during our prayers. So during the morning prayer, And during the afternoon prayer, the Kohanim would say the blessing. At a certain point, it appears during the second temple, um, our sages were concerned that Kohanim would sometimes have a little wine for lunch and then do the afternoon blessing. Now, the rule is, the Torah tells us that the service in the temple, and for that matter, the blessing of the Kohanim as well, is not allowed to be said with any after having drunken any alcohol. So you have to be totally sober when reciting this blessing. Now, sorry, you've got to wait for it to wear off. Until it wears off. Yes. So until it wears off. So 
you're not allowed to say that. So because people would sometimes have some wine with their lunch. And back then, the only drink they really drank was wine. It's hard to imagine. But there, were no, there was no juice, definitely no soft drinks. Water was often not clean and not safe to drink. So wine was the drink of choice. When you wanted to drink something with your lunch or with your dinner, they drank wine. This is not going back very far. They drank wine. That's what they drank. So, um, so they, would, some, they would mix it back then with water to make it a little bit less strong because they also didn't know how to cut down its strength like we do today. They didn't have the sulfites in the wine making. So um, it was a little stronger back then. So they would, they would mix it with water, but they would, um, wine was the drink. So they didn't want people doing the blessing of the Kohanim. So they cut out the blessing of the Kohanim during the afternoon prayers. And they stuck to only doing it in the morning prayers. Every morning they would say the blessing of the Kohanim. The Kohanim would say this blessing. Yes? Is it always wine or alcohol? Alcohol. Alcohol. Yes. Uh They had beer back then as well. But wine was the drink of choice. Beer was for poor people. So, so, when, so they would say the blessing every single day. Now, one of the great riddles in Judaism that we don't know the true answer to is at some point, at least a thousand years ago, close to a thousand years ago, because this is the first time this is recorded, at some point, Jews outside of Israel or many Jewish communities stopped doing the daily Kohanic blessing during prayers. They just stopped doing it. And at some point, Jews were only doing the Kohanic, the priestly blessing, on the festivals. We have five festivals a year. Passover, Shavuot, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, Simchat Torah. So during those festivals, on the days of the festivals, they were doing the priestly blessing. But on other days, on, the, on regular days, they had stopped doing the priestly blessing. And this is recorded by scholars, already note this, a thousand years ago. And they're not sure why this happened. Some suggest perhaps it was simply a timing matter. It took time to do the priestly blessing. People were in a rush during their morning services to get to work. And so they were racing through the prayers. They didn't have time on a regular morning to do the priestly blessing. On the festivals, nobody's rushing anywhere. It's nobody's working. So that is why they did it on the festivals. Shabbat also people had more time. For some reason they didn't choose Shabbat. They only started doing it on the festivals. One reason given. Another possible reason given is that perhaps the um, what that one should the Kohanim should only bless the people when they are happy. They shouldn't be giving blessings when they're not happy. And today people just aren't this is written years ago. People aren't happy anymore. But on the festivals, everybody's happy. So therefore, on the festivals, that's when they are doing the priestly blessings. Yes, they're happy. And, happy. and Rabbi Yosef, 
Rabbi Yosef Karo, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, the classic code of Jewish law, which was written in the mid-1500s, points out that these are not great answers, weak answers, and there's no real good answer as to why this custom developed, although the Torah says that the priestly blessing must be every day, we don't have a good reason why they stop doing the priestly blessing every day. But he does note that in the land of Israel, where Rabbi Yosef Karo lived in Tzafat, in northern Israel, where we're going to be there when um, we're visiting there, and he lived in Israel, and in the lands around Israel, which we know are Egypt and Syria, which always had very large Jewish communities, in Israel, Egypt, and Syria, they always had the Kohanim doing blessings every single day. But for some reason, once you went outside those countries, once you moved beyond that, Jews everywhere, Sephardic, Ashkenazic, everywhere, Jews had cut it down to only do it on the festivals. And Rabbi Yosef Karo says, if only Jews outside of Israel, Syria and Egypt, would expand and take on this custom to start doing it every single day. For whatever reason, his request was never fulfilled. Some communities, such as Jews of I believe Jews of Yemen also were doing it every day. He probably was not in contact with Jews in Yemen. Um, Jews in Tunisia, who generally always had, there was a, had a very large Jewish community, very unique and had their own unique customs. They did it every Shabbat. They did it just on Shabbat once a, once a week. And then, of course, on the festivals, they didn't do it on a regular day. Um, and, but Jews everywhere else just did it on the festivals. For some reason, they never took Rabbi Rabbi Yosef Karo's advice um, to implement it every day. And so outside of Israel, the accepted custom outside of Israel is that we just do the blessing of the Kohanim only on the festival, still till today. In Israel today, and there's no Jews, unfortunately, left in Egypt or Syria, but in Israel today, they, of course, still do, and there's Today, millions of Jews living in Israel, they do the blessing of the priestly blessing every single day in their prayers. Um, Syrian Jews, though, have moved in very large numbers to this country and to other countries around the world. And Syrian Jews have retained their custom. And if you go to Syrian synagogues, they have a large community in New Jersey and in, in Brooklyn. If you go to Syrian synagogues today, they still do the... Um, priestly blessing every single day, even wherever they are, because that's what, the way, what they've always done. So... Can I ask a question? So when Chabad was being formed and, and the Alter Rebbe was figuring out what was going to be followed, what was Chabad's reason for not instituting that? I don't know. I can't speak of anyone specific. The reality is that outside of Israel and those countries that always did it, the custom has never developed to do it. Um, the Alter Rebbe, since you mentioned him, writes in one place, if only I could institute doing the priestly blessing every day. What stopped him, he doesn't say. Yes, Don? In the Amidah every day, we say the priestly blessing. We the have the cantor, when he repeats the Amidah, recites it, but we don't have the Kohanim going up and doing it. So the whole thing when they're up on the beam, that's what you Right, that's the priestly the blessing. Yeah, they don't do the Kohanic priestly blessing is not done. So, 
the custom in Israel still today and in Syrian communities to do it every day. Uh, outside of Israel, we do it only on the festivals. Now, the Kohanim, the, every Kohen can do it, any Kohen can do it, and any Kohen, any, in whatever age. The Kohanim, before they do the priestly blessing, because it's considered a service like the service in the temple, they're not allowed to drink, just as you would not be able to drink before the service in the temple. For that reason, by the way, when we do it on the festivals, we always do it in the Musaf prayer, which is kind of at the end of the prayers. With one exception, which is Simchat Torah. On Simchat Torah, um, we, the Ashkenazi custom, it's a great day of great celebration. So the Ashkenazi custom is that we actually stop our prayers in, in the middle, before the, we take out the Torahs, we stop our prayers and we throw a party. <coughs> we do the Kiddush and the party before the Torah reading. <coughs> Excuse me. Because of that, we brought the priestly blessing earlier and we do it before, much earlier in the prayers on Simchat Torah because once they drink, they can't do the priestly blessing anymore. Also, before the priestly blessing is done, the Kohanim have to wash their hands. They wash their hands, um, similar to what we do before we eat bread or when we wake up in the morning. They must pour on water over each hand. Now, the custom is that Levi's, people from the tribe of Levi, which was um, the tribe that Moses came from, they were given the role to help the Kohens in the temple. They would sing and play music in the temple. They didn't actually serve in the temple, but they would sing and play music. So our custom today is that Le- Levi's, or people from the tribe of Levi, they do the washing of the Kohanim. So they take the cups and pour it over the hands of the Kohanim. And this is done during the prayers before the Kohanim go up and do the priestly blessing. So that's how they prepare for the blessing. And then during the prayers, it's always during the repetition of the Shmona Esri, of the silent prayer. Uh, we read the silent prayer, and then every time we read it, <coughs> the cantor repeats it afterwards. So during the repetition, the Kohanim all go up, and the, blessing, the priestly blessing should ideally be on a platform. Just as in the temple, they had special steps that the priests would stand on. So it should ideally be on, the, on a platform. Most synagogues are built where the ark stands on a platform or on a stage, just as we have here. And so the Kohanim stand in the front on a platform. And <coughs> excuse me, from there they do, thank you, from there they do the priestly blessing. From there, they do the priestly blessing. Now, when we do the priestly blessing, the Kohanim are supposed to have total concentration, not focus on anything else. And so are the people supposed to have total concentration. So because of that, the custom is that the Kohanim take their talus that they're wearing and they put it over their heads while they do the priestly blessing. There is a further custom that the men in the synagogue who are wearing talisim or talis as well, take their talis and they put it over them as well. And in Ashkenazic communities, we've developed a further custom that in most Eastern European communities, children 
or even those um, uh, in uh, Eastern European communities, the custom is not to wear a talus, that men don't wear a talus during prayer until after they get married. So only married men wear a talus during prayer, while single men generally don't. Western European Jewish communities and Sephardic Jewish communities, children wore talisim all the way, um, at, at all ages. But in Eastern European communities, where children and even single adults did not wear ta- uh, talus, the custom would be that they would go cover them, get a talus to cover themselves, or go under someone else's talus um, for for this priestly for this priestly blessing. Now, when the Kohanim do the priestly blessing, they raise their hands over their heads, just as described in the Torah, the way Aaron did the priestly blessing, where he raised his hand over his head, his head. And indeed, that is the way that we do not only priestly blessings, but when Jews give blessings, the way we raise, and Jacob does this originally, the way we do a blessing is we raise our hands over someone's head before we bless them, conveying the blessing onto them. Yes? So my understanding, which may be incorrect, was that we're not supposed to be looking at them, and by covering ourselves with the talus, that we're accomplishing that, but... Since women don't have taluses, are they simply supposed to look down, or what is? The yeah, issue? if you don't have a talus, you should look down. The goal is not to be distracted, not to be distracted. So you shouldn't be looking at anything else. You got to focus. So now, what, when the kohanim make a blessing, that they raise their hands up, and the um, the um, tradition is that the the God's divine presence is then felt over their hands and is they're bestowing it onto the people. And so because of that, they make the in Shir Hashirm in the book Song of Songs, one of our books of our scripture, it speaks of the um, it's it's a love song between a lover and um, uh, two lovers who one of them disappears and the other one's looking for him and it's supposed to be a parable of our relationship with God and over there it speaks about how our lover is waiting for us to come back to them and is peeking through the cracks peeking through the cracks so it's a metaphor for God peeking through the cracks looking down on us and so because of that, the Kohanim make cracks in their hands. And the way they do it traditionally is they hold their hands with two fingers next to each other like this, each hand. And um, they hold them up on top like this. And that is the God peeking through their cracks. So in that way, they hold their hands over their heads with the ta- covered by the talus. And they recite the priestly blessing. Now, because the priestly blessing is dictated by the Torah, so it says exactly say these words, therefore we dictate the priestly blessing to the Kohen, usually the cantor, will say each word, word for word. So they say the first word, which is Yevarechecha, and the Kohen repeats Yevarechecha. Then they say the second word, Hashem, and the Kohen repeats Hashem. Then they say the third word, and the Kohen repeats, and they say word by word by word of the Kohanic blessing, of this priestly blessing. And so it's a very powerful moment when they do it, and that's why it takes time, even though it's only 15 words, 
but they say it word by word, one by one. And there's actually a custom to kind of sing a melody as we say, the, as the priests say the priestly blessing, um, the song that we sing here in our synagogue, which is sung in many Chabad communities, many other communities, um, goes like this. Ah, yeah, 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 so it's a, it's a haunting melody that we sing along with the song of the Kohanim as they say the blessing. <laughs> what exactly does the blessing say? So the words of the blessing are, Yevarechecha Hashem v'yishmarecha. God shall bless you and he should guard you. Ya'er Hashem panav elecha. God shall shine his face on you. V'chunecha and find favor in you. Yisa Hashem panav elecha. God shall lift his face to you. V'yasem lecha shalom. And place for you peace. Those are the words of the blessing themselves. They're very powerful. They speak, it starts with the word Yifarechecha, that God should bless you. Um, speaks of God guarding you, protecting you. Speak of God shining his countenance to you, or shining his face to you, in that we shall feel God's presence on us, and we shall feel God's presence with us. And then um, we say, perhaps the Talmud says, the most powerful of the words is, Yisa Hashem Panavelecha, that literally God shall lift his face to you. But in Hebrew, the term Neso Panim, or lifting a face, means God should favor you. God should favor you, or um, when you treat someone more favorably than they deserve. The term is nesiat panim, or lifting a face, where you treat someone. So you're saying, God should treat you more favorably. God should not judge you as you deserve. He should not judge you justly, but he should cheat a little bit and give you a little bit more than you really deserve. And um, we believe that we are family. We are God's children. So as God's children, you know, you might treat other people the way, give them what they deserve. But with your own family, sometimes you could be a little nicer. So we ask God to do the same to us. God should show us um, favoritism. For, um, because we have a relationship with him, he should be extra nice to us. And even when we are undeserving, and this is a theme that we use many times in our prayers, um, even when we are undeserving, and um, no one's perfect, and uh, we all have our faults, so even when we are undeserving, we still request that God treat us, and give us everything that we want and everything that we need, even when we're not really deserving of it. So that's our request, and that is the power of the blessing, um, that God should favor us in that way. And so it's a very powerful thing. Um, people would go to synagogue, especially to hear the blessing. Um, today, we're outside of Israel, where we do the blessing on the festivals. Um, many people go to synagogue on the festival just to hear the Kohanic blessing, the priestly blessing. They're there to make sure to be there on time just for the Kohanic blessing, just to get this priestly blessing, which is a very such a powerful, powerful blessing. Now, one particular power in the blessing 
that the Talmud says is a power for dreams. Dreams, everybody's had nightmares. Dreams can have a negative impact on a person. Um, most dreams the Talmud says are garbage. Don't worry about it. Um, the Talmud says, don't worry about dreams. Worrying about dreams only causes harm. Shouldn't worry about your dreams too much. But if you are worried about your dreams, says the Talmud, you should, when getting the priestly blessing is the best time, because it is such a powerful time when standing by the priestly blessing, it is the best time to ask God that any negative dreams that I may have had, revoke them. Any dreams, some dreams could have meaning, although we don't know, and therefore better not to worry about them. We don't know which ones do and which ones don't. Any negative dreams that I may have had that may have had any negative meaning, God, revoke it, get rid of it, erase it. And any dreams, and even dreams that we forgot about, often we struggle, we know we had a bad dream and we don't know what it is, and that could be bothering us. Talmud says, don't worry about it. During the blessing of the Kohanim, ask God to revoke any negative dreams. And then we continue any dreams that other people may have had about us. We should, God should also erase any negative meanings in any dreams that they may have had. And um, even um, uh, any dreams I had about other people, God should erase, um, God should erase all negative dreams. So dreams could have power. Most are garbage. Some could have meaning. Um, and again, we don't know which could have meaning and which don't. And so therefore, we shouldn't bother with it at all. Um, we should just ignore dreams to start with. Uh, Talmud's very clear about that. Uh, obsessing over dreams is harmful. It says the Talmud causes you more harm when you're worried about the result of your dream than um, cause you more harm when you're worried about the result of your dream than the dream itself. So therefore, don't worry about it. Don't give it a negative interpretation. Try to find a positive interpretation. But if you are worried, the best time to ask God to help you um, and to erase any negativity is during the time of the blessing of the Kohanim. So it's a very unique mitzvah. It's a very unusual. It's unique because it involves specific group of people that God has chosen to do this mitzvah. And um, everybody else, their mitzvah is to be there to receive the blessing. And, uh, but it's also a very, very powerful moment. Uh, we give it a lot of... Um, uh, we, we, we consider it very, very important. Uh, we do it on every single festival, like we said, outside of Israel. We do it here, of course. And um, it, it's really a very unique moment and a very, very powerful thing. Now, even without um, the unique kind of priestly blessing that we do on the holiday, we do have a Jewish custom that in general, Kohanim have the power to bless so we ask Kohenim to bless specific occasions, usually by a wedding or by other unique occasions. We'll call up a Kohen and ask him to bless the bride and groom or by a bar mitzvah or by a bris or by any other special occasion. We'll ask a Kohen to bless, um, to bless the people um, using the priestly blessing. And, uh, but it's also a blessing that we, although it's unique for priests and we don't, do the priestly blessings if you're not Cohen's. It's also a blessing that anybody can use. Anybody can invoke the priestly blessing. And there's an old Jewish custom to bless our children. Um, we bless our, there's a universal Jewish custom to bless your children on Erev Yom Kippur, before Yom Kippur. Uh, many communities have a custom to bless their children before Shabbos every single week um, or um, at or the beginning, after Shabbos. after Shabbos begins. And um, generally we bless our children. There's a 
unique blessing from Jacob that we use, but we also use the priestly blessing as well. We recite the priestly blessing every time because when you want to give someone a blessing, it's the most powerful blessing to use. It's the most powerful thing. And just to conclude, um, it's, um, blessings are very, very important. In our last Wednesday class, we spoke about how important it is not to speak negatively or curse someone, wish bad on someone, and how powerful blessings are. We believe, the Talmud says, that never take a blessing lightly. Every blessing is powerful. Every person has the power to bless, to wish good on someone else. And God takes blessings seriously. And so we should take every single blessing seriously. We should bless other people, wish them good, wish them the, ble- the best. And we should encourage other people to bless us as well. It is always, it's a good thing for society um, if we're always wishing positive to each other and always wishing good to each other and um, asking that God be good to, to other people. And we believe that God takes that very seriously and does listen to blessings of any ordinary person. So thank you again.